What do you do when life goes sideways? What do you do? What do you do when you're a middle-aged person and you've given yourself to a job and you've been faithful and you have experience and you um, are, have experience and diligence and knowledge to give and a company goes for new, younger innovation and less pay. You're not far from retirement. It's five, ten years and you'd be retired and you're looking forward to setting the gauntlet down and the company says, well, thank you very much for your time and um, see you later. What do you do? Where do you go? What do you do when your good friend turns on you and hurts you deeply and it doesn't seem mendable? They don't want to mend it. What do you do? What do you do when you're a wife to a man for 20 plus years, you've been his, his support, his strength, the person he has come home to, you've raised the children, you've done, tried your hardest, and he walks off with someone else. What do you do? What do you do when you're the husband and, and your wife says to you, well, I just don't know that I love you anymore. And I need to find myself. You know, I, I, in this whole relationship thing, I've lost myself. I need to find myself. And walks out and says, we need to separate. I need to get my own place. And I'm just not sure where we're going to be. What do you do? Who do you go to? How do you sustain yourself? When the economy turns upside down and you just don't know and there's uncertainty in almost everything, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you maintain? When you're a teenager and you go to high school and you want to fit in so bad. You just want to be a part. And you, and you go and you meet somebody and you're talking to them and they said, you know, if, if you don't get this kind of clothes and you don't get this backpack, I, I, I'm not going to hang out with you. Now you may see, think that's shallow, but that just happened. And all you wanted was a friend. So you... So you you know, in desperation, you go and you buy the stuff and you come to school the next day and lo and behold, they don't want to hang out with you anyways. That's crushing at that age. What do you do when you go to youth group and you think, well, Jesus was all-inclusive. He received sinners and loved everyone. Surely I'll be welcome there. And you find that the youth group is broken because it's filled with sinners and they have their cliques and you don't really feel like you fit in there either. Where do you go? You come to church. Church is supposed to be filled with nice people. People who love. People who care. And often it is. But you don't feel, you feel like you're on the outside and very few people said hi to you and nobody invited you over for lunch and you're just feeling like maybe maybe I don't fit. Maybe they don't like me. I just don't know. I'm not sure. Where do you go? 
Well, in Psalm 23, David was facing some incredible circumstances. And I want to read it one time through. I want to talk about those circumstances, and then I want to walk through it. And I want you to savor. That's all I want you to do this morning. I'm not looking for you to take notes. I want you to savor and let it sink in. So let me read to you Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The poetry in that psalm is absolutely beautiful. And it's just soothing to hear it. To read it over and over again is soothing. But when you begin to realize where David was, it has a whole new import. See, David isn't sitting next to a mikvah bath, hanging out and having a sarsaparilla. David has been running from Saul. Think about this. Running from Saul for over a decade. The grammar in this passage makes it very clear that he's still in the running. He is in process. This is what the Lord is doing for him in the midst of this. Think of David's life for a minute. You've been going over it. God had promised to him when he was young that he was going to be king. Let that sink in. When he was young, he was going to be king. David is over a decade of running from Saul. This is David who came onto the battlefield with Goliath, showed himself from being a little shepherd boy who couldn't carry the, even the instruments to go on the battlefield, couldn't wear the armor, becomes an instant hero, becomes a warrior, becomes the main general so that people are singing of him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Let that sink in for a moment. He had beat up on every country around him. If you were to put up a wanted picture of Saul and David, the value amount on those wanted pictures, David's would exceed Saul's by hundreds of thousands. He was feared and hated by everyone around him. And now his own country is chasing him around so that he's living in a wilderness, barely making it. And it's been over a decade. Have you ever prayed and asked God, God, I really need you to answer me? And God answers with wait. And a day later, you, you, you pray again, God, and a week later, and pretty soon another week goes by, and you're thinking, you're not listening. 
You're not listening to me at all. David's been waiting over a decade. Well over a decade. In our instantaneous gratification culture, it's killing us as Christians to not wait on the Lord. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's intent in helping us in our character and not just our circumstance. David is writing this in the midst of hiding in the desert. Saying, my cup overflows. Where do we go? Well, the subject of this passage has only one. It's like a mountain that towers out of it. It is glorious and supreme. It starts with the Lord. This is God's name, his precious name to his people, Yahweh. It's the sacred name that the Jews still to this day will not say because they believe it is too holy to even pronounce it on the lips of sinful men. It starts with the Lord, not a God. There is one God who reigns supreme over heaven and earth. It is the Lord. It is the creator of the universe, the one who has made all of us in his image. It's the one that... We all owe our allegiance to as our creator. It's the one who redeemed his people over and over again, who said to Adam and Eve, don't do this. They did it anyways. If you do this, I'll have to kill you. And he put his reputation on the line and looked forward to the cross. It's the one who chased down his people again and again when the world got so mean and angry, turned so far from him that he had to flood the world to start over. And it wasn't long after they got off the boat that they started making a mess of things all over again. It's the one who had to call Abraham out of paganism, serving other gods. Where were the believers? It's the one who made the promise to Abraham, in your seed I will bless. Yes, you're 100 years old. I will give you a child, trust me. It's the one who gave the child and fulfilled his promise by bringing Israel into the promised land after they failed time and time again. It's the one who rose up a little bitty shepherd boy and said, I'm going to make you a mighty warrior. And David knew it from the beginning when he went on the field with Goliath and said, it's not my might. You've ticked off the God of Israel, and you're going down. This day, he will give your head into my hands. It's that God. The Lord. But he's not just the God of the universe. He's not just the God of redemption over his people. He's called the shepherd. David knew what shepherding was all about. Do you remember David had to protect the sheep out of the mouths of lions and bears? Do you remember that? So when this imagery comes to David's mind, it is precious to David because David knows what it takes to guard the sheep, to lead the sheep, and to provide for them. So when he's talking about this, this is real for him. And what kind of shepherd is God? The Lord, the creator of the universe. Well, look. David is in the desert being chased by his enemies inside and out. Think about that. Where would you go? You have no friends. You have no country. You, don't, you can't go to the, the um, 
embassy and run in and say, at least I'm safe here. I'm an American. Take care of me. David would run into the Israelis' assembly or assembly, embassy and be slaughtered. There is no escape for him. This is where David's at. Who was the Lord to him? I mean, it's amazingly beautiful. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There is a time and a place where God will make you lie down because you need rest. The shepherd knew how far to drive the sheep, how far to take them before he would bring them to a place where they were safe and they could find rest. He leads me beside the still waters. And just do something for your soul just reading those few words. He brings him to a place of plenty. He's in the desert beside still waters. Where? He restores my soul. He is the kind of shepherd that is careful, knows his sheep, knows what they need when they need it, and makes sure it's provided. He cares for you. Don't ever doubt the Lord's care. There is no one that cares for you more than the God of the universe. There is no one. Not your spouse. Not your parents. No one. Your best friend. No one. There's no one who knows your soul like the Lord and is mindful and tending to it all the time. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is interested in the kind of person you will become. Commentators will talk about this as imagery of sheep and leading them in the right path, and surely that is there. But this is a metaphor for a person. God knows what's best for your soul is righteousness, not perversion, not unholiness. You're made in his image, and he leads you in paths that are good for your soul that restore it and build it up. He leads David. And you know what he does? You know how much he's concerned about this? He does it for his namesake. Don't read over that too quickly. Read in it his character, his reputation. He is putting on the line because he loves his children so much that he's going to lead them the right way so that they go to the right places and become the right people and become made more in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, every day. And he's putting his name on the line. That's huge. Whenever the Lord puts his name on the line, he puts himself on the line. And he says, I will lead you in righteousness. I guarantee it. I can't stamp it with a greater guarantee than myself. That's how much I love you, and that's how much I'm going to care for your soul and make you become the right person. I will go through this process with you as long as it takes. I will care for you. I will provide for you. And I am going to make you like my son because I've set my purposes in order. And I am determined to do it. 
for his name's sake. Now here's where it starts to get dark. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've got to have a picture with the, the backdrop in mind of David's enemies being up on the surrounding hillside looking down on him. And the grab of darkness is over him. The hand is about to clench. Death is all around him. He has nowhere to flee from death. And all his enemies are right there. And all of them want David. Because if they get David, they honor the king. If they honor the king, they get a better spot in the kingdom. Darkness is all around him. But you know what comforts David? It's not that God takes him out of it. That's amazing to me. He's been on the run for over a decade. If I was on the run for over a day, I'd be complaining. Lord, okay, had enough. Get me out of here. You paying attention? You see what's going on? Over a decade. And David says, you are with me. It's David's biggest concern. You're with me and you're prepared. You have a staff and you have a rod. You will guide me and you will defend me. You are prepared and no enemy can take me. Even though I walk through this valley that's so dark and I am so hated by so many, they cannot touch me because you're with me. Do you believe that as you go through your trials? Is that your God who is with you, who is tending to you, is protecting you, goes on to say, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Not only are you with me, but David shifts metaphors to the great host of heaven. And says, my enemies are looking on, and you've sat me down at the table. And you've prepared a banquet. You've anointed my head with oil, which was a special privilege of of a desired guest to honor them greatly. You've anointed my head with oil, and you've filled my cup so full the cup can't hang on to it. It overflows with abundance. This is in the presence of his enemies. This is not reflecting back on, wow, yeah, God took me through all that. This is while he sits, and God feeds him and cares for him. Do you know your God that way? that when the carpet is ripped out from under you, he doesn't leave you, and he provides. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the God of the universe. No one can touch you. That's your God. And what's exciting to me about this passage is we know David wasn't in this place all the time, right? David fell apart. We see his life unravel. But you know what's cool? It's possible to be in this place. 
Because David's life fell apart and because David failed, and you and I fail and our lives fall apart, we're pretty similar. This can be our life in Christ. This can be our life. In the midst of it, it can be, and it was for David. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about it. You're running from your enemy. Interesting how David picks up goodness and mercy. Who's behind me? Not my enemy. God's got my back covered. And it's all good. His mercy's got me covered. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry about the enemy. He's got me. Surely goodness and kindness will follow you, Christian, all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We weren't meant for this place. We have a home and it's coming. Jesus made it very clear to his disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. My father has a mansion and there's room for all of you. I go to make I go to prepare it all and get it completely ready. I'll be back. I'm coming back for you. This is temporary. I'm coming back. What was the result in David's life? Could you say today you do not want? David had contentment. To put it in a positive, David had contentment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's pretty cool. He's in the desert, running from his enemies. I could think of a few things to want. My want list runs big, and I'm not in the desert, and I'm not running from my enemies. Unfortunately, my want list runs big. But David's contentment of soul is so great that he feels like his cup is full, his table's plenty, and he's safe. No matter what's befalling around him, he's safe. Your boss can never take that away. Shallow students at high school cannot take that away. Even dim-witted Christians at times can't take that away from you because sometimes we just don't pay enough attention. That's why we're here learning to be like Jesus. The spouse who walks away from you can't take that away. Your best friend who hurts you and breaks your heart can't take that away. Your God is for you. He's promised. The other thing that we find is that when David's in the valley of the shadow of death, what do we find? Do we find a fearful, shaking man? No, we find a guy who's got confidence. I fear no evil. In other words, I am confident. That's a pretty powerful statement given his situation. We can have contentment and we can have confidence in the middle of any situation as long as we keep our eyes on the shepherd and pay attention to his care, that he's got us. It may not look like we want it to look. Because I'm sure David was thinking, okay, I'm ready to be king. Hello. But God was with him, and he trusted the shepherd. 
Probably the most profound word to me is one of the smallest words in this text. And this is, I hope, what brings this text home. Because God is not a distance God. God is not interested in your platitudes. God is not interested in our acknowledgement that He might exist because the world's so complex. He doesn't really care. In fact, that's pretty offensive to Him if that's all the further you go. God was this kind of God to David because God was David's God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. This will never be for you real. Any of us in this room, it will never be real for us until we be honest with the Lord and we go, I have nothing else to offer. I have nowhere else to go. There is no other shepherd. There is no other God. You are it. And you are mine. You are my shepherd. I need you more than water, more than air, more than any relationship. You are the relationship I must have. Until that becomes real for us, this will never be our experience. David used to sit and just ponder God. And you read that in the Psalms where he just gazed onto the stars and said, God, you are amazing. You are bigger than I could ever comprehend. And you're mine. You have given yourself to me. And I just love you. I can't believe that you would love me like you do. But you do. You're my shepherd. You're not a distant deity. And there is nowhere else to turn. You are it for me. Until God becomes that for us, that He becomes the tender of our souls, we will always be weak, unsure, unconfident, and scared. We will never be content. You will never have enough possessions. When your children go astray and you've given them a great example and you've poured out your soul for years and years and years to provide for them, do your best by them, cherish them, and they care, I don't care what you think and I don't care what you believe in. I'm doing my own thing. That's crushing You only make that through when your children are not your God. When your job doesn't identify you. I've met many men that have retired and it's almost bankrupt their souls because they were seen as the whatever. Your identity is in one place and one place alone and that's Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd that bought your soul. He is the one who redeemed your life from the pit. He is the one that paid everything so you could be a child of God. There is no greater thing. There is no more important thing in all the world. No more valuable thing in all the world. And your boss can't tell you otherwise. Your shallow friends can't tell you otherwise. The church can't tell you otherwise. Nobody can tell you otherwise. Jesus Christ 
is the most important person in the world, and he loves you. But you will never experience this. Never experience this. And I will never experience this until we keep coming back to the God who is our shepherd. And this is for Christians and non-Christians alike. Because it's not enough to acknowledge him. It's not enough to become a Christian and say a prayer. You have to walk with God all the time. Or your soul will shrink. And your life will become a wreck. Because this world stinks in many ways. It was sad to me to hear on the news of the young model. Did you hear that on the news recently? I guess she was on um, oh, show, left my mind, The Bachelor. Did you hear about her? 29 years old, beautiful model, had an up-and-coming career, successful, took her life this week. I don't know why that hit me. It wasn't because she was a model or, or a celebrity. It just wasn't. It hit my heart because I realized she was empty, though she had everything we strive for. Can I crush you? She chased after every idol she could chase after, and in the end, it left her hanging, literally. This world needs to hear that Jesus Christ is alive and well and that he loves them that he's died for them, that he's purchased them, that he is their God and there is no other. There is no place to satisfy your soul. And if you don't satisfy your soul in Jesus, you will ruin everything else because you'll try and satisfy your soul with it. You can never enjoy anything to its fullest until you know what it has to offer. And when Jesus doesn't fill the hole in your heart, you will try and fill it with everything, which means you will have expectations of everything that cannot satisfy. You want to get depressed? Run that gauntlet. Christians, we have a shepherd, and the world needs to know they have one too. And it has to, this shepherd is not okay with platitudes. This shepherd wants to know you and be known by you. He wants to be known by the ones he made in his image. And I think Augustine got it right when he said, Lord, you made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We will never be filled with the rest that David experienced until we find our rest in Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing I want to have happen this morning for all of us is to realize how big, magnificent, and involved our shepherd is in our lives. So involved that he knows when you need to rest and he makes you lie down. So involved that he's coming behind you with his goodness and his mercy protecting you. So involved, he knows when you're thirsty and he provides drink. So involved that he knows when your heart's broken and he provides comfort that the world can't provide and nor friendship can provide. So involved that he wants your identity to be solid so that you can be an instrument for good in this world. 
sharing the love of Jesus Christ, helping others to quit being mannequins. We live in a world of mannequins. And sometimes we're it's here in the church, we pretend to be something we're not. We're just fallen sinners. We're broken in all kinds of ways. And we've got to quit pretending that we're not. We are. We're broken. And the world needs to see that and hear that and experience that with a huge amount of love that Jesus Christ can flow through you. Amen? When you get down, run to the one source that can fill you up, the one source that can bring you rest, the one source that can bring you contentment, the one source that can give you confidence when self-doubt starts to loom greatly. Because I guarantee after 10 years of running, you don't think David faced self-doubt when his men are going, hey, provided an opportunity, what are you doing? When he's barely able to provide, running around the other side of a mountain. Yeah, I guarantee self-doubt that we all struggle with crept in. When you're crushed by your circumstances, it's God that will hold you together. Would you pray with me?